listening to Reading Glasses, a show about book culture and literary life designed to help you read better. I'm author and book devourer Mallory O'Mara. And I'm Bria Grant, filmmaker and e-reader. This episode, we're talking about how a graphic novel is made with author Bria Grant. That's me! <laughs> but first, what are you reading, Bria? Um, this afternoon, I took the afternoon and read a little graphic novel myself. Um, and I wanted to give it a shout out because I thought it was really interesting. It's a graphic novel you can read in... 20 minutes. Like, it's a very short graphic novel. It's almost like um, <laughs> a graphic chapter, if you will. It's, it's a, <laughs> a graphic novella. It is It is really a graphic novella, which is very short. But um, it's called When I Arrived at the Castle by Emily <gasps> I love this graphic novel. Did you, did, have you read it? Um, oh, it's so good. I believe, did it come out last year? It came out last year. Um, and it's so interesting. It's like, for me, I feel like it was part graphic novel, part almost like art book. Like, it's like a lot of your, like the art is very big and there's very little dialogue. So the feel of it is like these big art, artistic pages full of cool art and then like a little bit of, of, of dialogue and a little bit of story. But essentially the idea is that, um, this, I would call her a person, but really She's a cat. (laughs) (laughs) What a mood. (laughs) She's part cat, part human. She's got like a human body. Definitely has a human body, but then little cat ears. Um, (laughs) I don't know. You've read it. I don't know. what. I think she is a cat. She's a cat. Uh, Shows up to this castle to meet the countess. And a lot of people have been there before. And this cat is there. (laughs) Wow. This sounds so crazy when I say it out loud. (laughs) The cat's there to kill her. Sorry, it's not funny. It's very gothic. It's not. It totally, it, it truly works, but it, it definitely is one of those things where, like, when you're trying to describe it to somebody, yeah. you're just like, uh, well, okay, so this cat woman goes to this spooky castle. That's pretty much what it is. Is A cat woman goes to this spooky castle to kill this countess. And uh, she, it's very gothic. The art is very gothic, very beautiful. Um, and there's, like, some nudity. You see the cat's it's, boobs. It's, it's, <laughs> It's also, I will say, it is an erotic story. Yeah, it's an erotic story. Um, It's fascinating. It's really beautiful. So if you're looking kind of like for like a cool art book, like literally while I was doing it, I was like taking photos of the art for like inspiration for stuff because I just thought it was like really cool. Um, Oh, I can totally see how this would be like a great, because it's so atmospheric. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, that's so funny you read it too. Uh, What are you reading? Uh, So I am reading one of my most anticipated releases of 2020. I'm... And I'm halfway through it. I'm in love. It's called More Than a Woman by Catelyn Moran, who is one of my favorite writers. Uh, her, the book based on her book or the movie based on her book, How to Build a Girl, came out this year. Uh, I just, I love her so much. Uh, and this book is another, it's a memoir. And it's perfect because I, I turned 30 recently and I was kind of like looking all around to my close female friends, like, how do you age? And this book, because her first book, uh, Uh, Her first memoir, How to Be a Woman, came out 10 years ago, and it was, like, very influential for me becoming a feminist because uh, she – it's, like, feminism light. It's, like, the next step down from bad feminist because when you're reading Catelyn Moran, she's not, like, doing deep dives into, like, intersectional feminism and things. She's, like, wow, let's talk about boots. Like, it's very everyday stuff. It's very, very funny. Uh, Now, 10 years later, she's in her mid-40s, and she's, like, wow, let's talk about how my boobs are being weird and – and merit and how to keep a marriage going and like all these things of like being an older woman and it is 
It's so funny. It is so good. Again, this is like very light feminism. Do not look, this is not like, you're not reading Audre Lorde here. This is very just like, like she has this whole great essay about finding your perfect partner and how like the most important thing is really just about being comfortable with them because most of the time you spend with your partner is actually sleeping. (laughs) She's like, so your defenses are down most of the time when you're with someone. So make sure it's someone you're very comfortable with. And it's just, it's so, so good. I I pre-ordered it, but I also... uh, um, got in line for the audiobook from the library because she ordered uh, reads all her audiobooks and she's just fucking hilarious. So I am absolutely loving it. It's More Than a Woman by Catelyn Moran. And mine is When I Arrived at the Castle by Emily Carroll, who also did the art. So we want to take a moment to share some listener feedback. Uh, so Bethany wrote in, I wanted to send an email to thank you for recommending the Kobo for people who want to read eBooks, but don't want to go through Amazon. My husband's grandpa has been wanting to read, but doesn't want to go to the library until we have a handle on COVID smart, safe grandpa. We approve. Mm -hmm. Uh, I helped him choose and set up a Kobo and he read for four books in the first week. Oh, wow. That is awesome. (laughs) the the world's greatest superhero the heavy reading grandpa (laughs) Uh, so Bethany says I'm a librarian at a public library west of Cleveland in Ohio and I love that you love libraries so much Bree, the listener who wrote in to tell you about how they took a library book to a book signing, I doubt any library workers even notice. We touch so many books every single day, it's impossible to catch everything. I have also taken library books to book signings. They're great conversation starters, plus I'm on a public service salary, so I don't always have the money to purchase a book, especially if multiple authors are signing, but I still want to give authors praise in person when I can. Hey, pay librarians more, please. Yes. Um, I have a fun reading in the bathtub story for you. One time I was taking a bath with a hardback book. I took a break and sat on the edge of the tub, Mm. fell backwards into the tub while simultaneously throwing the book across the room so I wouldn't get it wet. (laughs) For as hard as I am on the library books, I have only had to pay for two ever in my life. Once when I left a banana in my book bag with a library book in third grade and once over quarantine when I spilled tea on a book because I was walking and reading with a book in one hand and tea in the other. Wait a a second. So this person was sitting on the edge of the tub, fell into the tub with their own body and then threw the book across the room to save the book. That is very, very funny. I'm just interested in this break. Taking an edge, taking a, a a break and sitting on the edge of the tub. Maybe because it's too hot. Maybe Bethany likes really hot tubs. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Okay. <laughs> I can't imagine being like, oh, I need a tub break. Um, but Bethany says, now I have a waterproof, waterproof Kindle and it has been life changing. Uh, I'm very jealous of this waterproof Kindle. Um, and Bethany's real wheelhouse is YA books about cults or teenage lesbian witches, adult nonfiction <laughs> audiobooks read by the author. Hey, Mallory, you did a great job. Or celebrity thank you. memoirs. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Bethany. And thank you for reading Lady from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> thrillers about bad marriages, quote unquote, stolen babies, family drama, etc. I love my husband and stepson, I swear. <laughs> uh, surprise horror, books that start out normal and then get super scary. Uh, cheesy contemporary romances, the ones with hand-drawn cartoony covers with diverse characters. Uh, science fiction that takes place in space. Come on, final book of the Expanse series, I need you. I will say, uh, amazing, g- good news for Bethany. The final book of the Expanse series is coming. Uh, co- a cover design by friend of the show and my best friend, Lauren Panopinto, coming from Orbit Books it is a great cover. And we're excited for the last book of the Expanse. Uh, well, you can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. If you want a list of all the books we talk about on the show delivered to your inbox every month, you can sign up for our newsletter. There's a link in the show notes. 
Uh, quick bookmark for me. I know this episode's all about me, but you can still pre-order my graphic novel called Mary. And you can pre-order or just order, depending on when you're listening to this, um, my movie that I wrote and directed called 12 Hour Shift. Uh, you can get it on VOD. Depending on what city you're in, you may be able to go see it at a drive-in or at your movie theater. You don't have to risk your health to go to a movie theater to see this movie. You can watch it at home on VOD with your friends, and it'll be cheaper. Um, make your own popcorn. Eat your own chocolate. You know, you don't have to pay for movie theater <laughs> snacks. Um, Imagine eating someone else's chocolate. <laughs> I'd share my chocolate with you if I could. Um, it's a, it's like a crazy, weird, dark comedy starring Angela Bettis. David Arquette is in it. Mick Foley makes an appearance. Um, it's set in the 90s with a bunch of, like, crass nurses stealing organs. So don't it watch it with your so kids. It is so funny. <laughs> it is so good. You are going to fall in love with the cast. You're going to fall in love with the music. You are going to fall in love with the whole fucking thing. It is... It's fucking great. Thanks. So before we talk about how to make a graphic novel, we're going to take a quick break. Hola, Mallory. Hola, Bria. Reading Glasses <laughs> is sponsored in part this week by Babbel. Bria, what's Babbel? Babbel makes it easy and fun to start having conversations in Espanol like we just did or whatever your preferred language. So Babbel designs their language courses with real-world conversations in mind, letting you learn everyday practical conversations that you will actually use. So yes, this is a language app, and it is super easy. It is super fun. And the lessons are 10 to 15 minutes and start by teaching you words and phrases. And then sentence gradually become more complex, and soon you'll be practicing short conversations. This is something that would be really great to do in your quarantine time. Learn a new skill, learn a new language. Yeah, and they even have speech recognition technology that helps improve your pronunciation and accent, which is very, very helpful for folks like me who have a thick Boston accent and not, are not 100% sure how things are pronounced all the time. It's a great thing to do with somebody, somebody else in your household or if you're looking for something fun to do with a friend that you haven't seen in six months because we've all been stuck in quarantine and you want to do a fun activity, learn a language together. We all have lots of time. We're all looking for fun things. You know, when this quarantine started, we were all like, I'm going to learn a language. I'm going to learn how to play an instrument well we're this far into quarantine and most of us have not learned how to do anything except eat more spicy cheetos maybe i'm just speaking for myself but now's the time now you can do it it's super easy it's super fun spend 10 to 15 minutes a day so right now when you purchase a three-month subscription Babbel will give our listeners three additional months for free um that would be six months uh with the promo code glasses so that's three additional months free if you go to babbel.com, that's B-A-B-B-E-L.com, and use promo code GLASSES on your three-month subscription. That is a lot of uh, lot of time, six months, which is when, uh, I mean, six months from now, we'll all still probably be wearing masks and stuck inside. And so by the time you get out of quarantine, you'll be able to speak another language, and people will be really impressed with you when you can finally see your friends again. Very cool. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com, promo code GLASSES classes hello there ghouls and gals it is i april wolf i'm here to take you through the twisty scary heart-pounding world of genre cinema on the exhilarating program known as switchblade sisters the concept is simple 
I invite a female filmmaker on each week and we discuss their favorite genre film. Listen in closely to hear past guests like the Babadook director, Jennifer Kent, Winter's Bone director, Deborah Granick, and so many others every Thursday on MaximumFun.org. Tune in if you dare. <laughs> it's actually a very thought-provoking show that deeply explores the craft and philosophy behind the filmmaking process while also examining film through the lens of the female gaze. So, like, you should listen. Switchblade Sisters. This week, how does a graphic novel get made? How does the writing process differ from writing a prose book? How does this whole fucking thing work? Uh, very excited that we're finally able to do this. We are here with author Bria Grant, also co-host of Reading Classes, <laughs> author of the new graphic novel, Mary, to talk about it. You've heard this voice before. Here she is. <laughs> Here she is. More of her I voice. Would, I should have almost been like, so Bria, what are you reading? Um, <laughs> um, I just wanted to give some t- statistics first because I feel... Compelled to do so. Um, graphic novel sales were slightly down in 2019, but they were up in bookstores. Obviously, probably not the case for 2020. Um, and they actually were up in bookstores 16%, bolstering the sales of books overall quite a bit, which is awesome. Uh, so, Bria, tell us what Mary is about. It is about the fictional descendant of Mary Shelley, who feels like she is being pushed by her family to become a writer because there are many, many female fictional descendants of Mary Shelley that were famous writers in this story. In real life, Mary Shelley only had a son and then uh, they did no one, no one else became writers. Um, um, <laughs> he didn't do anything exciting. <laughs> Actually, this one, never, this one biography about Mary, Mary Shelley does kind of like disparage him where they're kind of like, he was not that into anything and never did anything important with uh, his life, which is kind of fascinating. I just kind of imagine him as like, what if he was just a regular guy? He's like, hey, I'm an electrician. Uh, I'm really into this. Everyone meets him. They're like, oh, you're the son of Mary Shelley. He's like, yeah, can I just like fix your office? Yeah, he was. Well, he's actually kind of a dilettante because uh, he he kind of did nothing. Um, (laughs) That was that era where like you could kind of do nothing if your family had money and she didn't make any money off of anything she wrote basically while she was alive. But um the father of Percy Shelley, your husband, had money. And then once um, he passed, some of that money came to Mary Shelley's son, also named Percy. And uh, they were able to live off of that. And he helped out his mother towards the end of her life. Anyway, um, this book is about the fictional descendant, modern day, uh, also named after Mary Shelley. The character's name is Mary. And she's being pushed to be this writer to kind of follow in the footsteps of her, of, of, of her family. And instead she learns... Uh, during the course of this book, that um, she is next in line to be the human liaison and doctor to the monster world um, and has this whole other calling that isn't what she thought it was supposed to be. She thought she was supposed to be a writer, but now she realizes she's supposed to be doing something else with her life. So, I mean, first off, what a mood. (laughs) Uh, uh, So how did... writing, I mean, clearly writing a graphic novel is very different from just like sitting down and writing a prose book. How did this, how how did the process of making a graphic novel start for you? And like, did you, so you've written comics before. Did you read any graphic novels to prepare for writing this? Was it like in a different form to start out? Yeah. So um, I, I read graphic novels pretty regularly, so I didn't read anything specifically for this. And it's my fourth thing to write in like this kind of format. I've written comic books before, so uh, 
the format was familiar to me. Um, the, re- the only research I really did before I started is I did read some Mary Shelley bios. I actually read uh, that Shirley Jackson bio um, that I think you've also read. Um, oh, A Rather Haunted Life is yeah, so good. Yeah, which was quite good. Um, I also read like an annotated um, version of Frankenstein. I kind of read stuff like that. But before I really got into it, um, I actually started writing this as a pilot at the beginning of 2017, if it tells you how long I have been working on it, uh, which is actually not that long considering how long I have to write most things. Um, I took the pilot out to a few people as a series um, and never really got off the ground. And then I pitched it as a comic book idea um, to a company that was starting out and looking for YA sci-fi. Um, and, th- and that kind of goes the same way you would pitch anything. You know, like I had an idea. Um, I had these big story elements. I had the character. I had the arc. And basically I went in and I was like, these are the chapters I think that are happening. These are This is the arc of the story. This is who she is. This is uh, like who the character is. And like, this is her struggle. And, and they bought it off of that uh, pitch. So, well, one question that I had for you that I s- s- put in this, uh, our shared document and you didn't get the chance to look at it before, but I had, I had more questions. So I, you've written comics before, but all the comics you've written have come out in like, in like issues, like a right. lot of comics do. This is a graphic novel, which is like, it all, it's like one, it's like a trade, you would say. It's like all this, the whole, it's like a, a self-contained story. How, how is writing a graphic novel different from a comic that has to come out in issues? That's a good question. I mean, um, Besides being maybe more work. <laughs> right. It was more just like the work was front loaded, kind of. So um, with the comics, I could, I like, I knew they were all sort of like four issue series. Like they were just mini series. series-es. So I knew they were going to be like, you're going to write these four issues. Here's what they are. And I think I, de- I definitely paid more attention to what the end of each issue was to make, pe- make sure people would pick up the next issue. So to leave it on like a cliffhanger or something because people want that next issue. But for this... Um, it was just that I had to do all of the work ahead of time. So everything had to be designed and laid out. I had to come up with all of the chapters ahead of time. And then we had to draw all of it, which is why it's taken, you know, three years to come out or something like that. It's It, it just takes so much longer. Whereas with like comic book individually, like I, I, we had like the arcs done, but we were still writing sort of much later into the game and then drawing much later into the game as as things went. And so when you write a, a novel, you sit down, you know, once upon a time and it's like different chapters and you know how to how, like, I, I think most readers know how that works, but is there, you're, you know, with a graphic novel, it's a totally different process because you're working with an artist. Is there a template for writing a graphic novel? No. And you and I were talking about this and that's so weird. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is very strange. A lot of people know I've written comic books in the past. And so when people are working on comic books or designing them or trying to figure out if they want to make something into a comic book, they reach out to me and they're like, what's the what's the look of like a comic book script? And I'm like, there is no look, which is horrifying to me as a rule follower. <laughs> um, uh, it's so weird. Because um, like, so I have an editor named Bethany and- um, I'm sure everything she works on is different, which is so horrifying. I actually write in a screenplay writing app because it's just easier for me because I know the app really well and it, and I can like use all the little shortcuts. Um, I also design every single panel of my comic book. Uh, some authors don't do that, but I go through and I'm like, page one, panel one looks like this. Here's all the shit that's in it. Here's the dialogue. <laughs> panel two, this is a bigger panel. It'll be like this. Panel three, like I go through every single little beat. 
But I have read um, scripts for comic books and I, I, I don't know how Jeremy writes. I've read scripts for comic books that are like just a general look of what the page is. Like this happens on this page and here is all the dialogue and it's much more dialogue focused where mine, I think I do both the visual focus and the dialogue with with heavy on the visual actually for me, weirdly. You know, Jeremy writes sort of, so my boyfriend also is a comics writer, but, and he is working on an original graphic novel, but he also does uh, monthlies. He d- works on Buffy the Vampire Slayer right now. And it's sort of similar, but it's because I, I read a lot of Jeremy scripts, but it is, it's amazing to me. And I don't think a lot of readers realize that there's no industry standard. Mm-hmm. Like every author is different, mm-hmm. which it's must very be strange. a nightmare for artists. Uh, for artists editors. and for editors and for everyone reading the stuff because they have to like get used to whatever style you have chosen, which is interesting. And I'm sure there's some people will be like, well, this is the general style. And yes, there are definitely like things you do, but I have read like, um, just a very famous comic author's writing and it's so different from what I do, which is fine. I mean, I think that's just the way it goes. So what's the creative process like between you and your artist? Like, do you describe everything in detail? Do you like sketch anything out to, to give it to her, to give her an idea of what to do? Like how, what, what is the interplay there? My God, I wish I could do that. I'm very terrible at drawing. My drawings are very funny. Actually, like I'll do drawings sometimes to try to explain to people what I'm trying to film. And people laugh at me so much that I've kind of stopped doing it because it's so hilarious how horrible my drawings are. You're like, like, okay, this one potato is next to this rock. Yeah, and yeah. The- <laughs> this circle is a face. Um, uh, so basically like it's an interesting process in choosing your artist because you're going to be working with them so closely. And I look through a ton of artists but then I came upon Yishan Lee, who's really amazing. I saw her stuff and I was like, this really captures this like gothic feel of the fact that this is Mary Shelley inspired, right? Because it's that is really important to the story, even though it has really nothing to do with Frankenstein, a little to do with Frankenstein, a little to do with Mary Shelley. But overall, it's more about like disappointing, being disappointed in your life. Um, <laughs> but I thought that it would really give it the right feel. Um, and she came up with the science and then... Uh, we, meaning me, my editor, and actually the publisher as well, would give notes and thoughts. But that's why always at the end of a graphic novel, you can find like the character designs because they have been working on them and tweaking them and changing them. Um, but yeah, because so, they come first, right? Like before you start doing the actual art. Of course, the, yes. Because you do the, all the main characters. Oh yeah, c- yeah. Because could you imagine if you drew like 25 pages and then you're like, I actually think this character looks different. And then you're like, oh no. Can you give them pigtails, pigtails please? And yeah. Like, no. Which you know, you do go back and do those kind of changes where you're like looking at the art and you're like, you know what? I think this panel is wrong and it should be something more like this. But yeah, it's based a lot on trust. It's based on what they've done before. It's actually why you see a lot of um, artists uh, with books and books full of drawings at like conventions and stuff because they're showing people their work or they have websites full of work, their work because you kind of have to be able to see what they can do before you can hire them. Um, but yeah, and and we go back and forth. I mean, there's, there was a, there's a part of the book where uh, Mary's ancestors are all in these paintings and they're all talking to her and they're like, uh, they're telling her she's not good enough and she hasn't really done anything good enough with her life so far. And I pulled... I basically, for those, like, pulled pictures and sent them to Yishan and was like, I, look, this is what the flapper lady looks like, something like this, <laughs> uh, which is the same kind of thing I do for movies. So it kind of works for me to just show these visual references to be like, I think this person looks kind of like this. Um, but for the most part, she came up with a lot of the the character designs. It, I mean, it's it's just, artists are amazing. It blows <laughs> my mind what they come up with every time. And it just, like, 
seeing your your words in like sequential form is such a is, is just such a thrill. Um, it, it's just a really nice feeling. Did you get like was there a lot of notes back and forth? Yeah, there 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 are. Um, yeah, like I mean, especially like my editor will make notes and I will make notes and like. It's interesting because you think you're writing everything you possibly can, but then Yishan will be like, yeah, this is a whole bookshelf you said is here, and I don't know what books are on it. So then I go through and name what, like, what the books might be on there. Um, or, um, for example, there's this like room that I call the Shrine Room where it's like all these awards for Mary Shelley and all the writers and the family and stuff. And, uh, uh, you know... I, we get in there and then Yishana's is like, well, what else is, what is in this room? And I have to like go through and like figure out what's in that room. So we go back and forth a little bit or I'll like see something she's done and be like, oh, you know, I was picturing more like this and she'll redraw it and stuff. But for the most part, she's like so spot on with like what her designs were and what she came up with that. um, Yeah, it's a lot of me just being like, looks fucking great, man. Looks real good. <laughs> Thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> so what is getting a graphic novel edited like? It's very fun. Um, <laughs> the editing process for filmmaking is horrific, as you know, <laughs> uh, because Ugh. the thing about making a film is that you can write these huge things, but a lot of times they're like, we don't have the budget for that and you have to cut it. But making a graphic novel, you can be like, I want this giant Loch Ness monster at the end and it takes up the full panel and it's this huge moment. And, and uh, there's, you could do that. It's no problem. Just, just draw that <laughs> Loch Ness monster, uh, which I did do. Um, but yeah, um, it's a lot of, you know, figuring out what works on the page. For me, I am a very wordy person. You listen to this podcast. You know what I'm like. Uh, <laughs> I love dialogue. If you watch my movie, you'll see I just love dialogue. I write so much dialogue. And um, that's a problem in comics. <laughs> you actually have to fit the dialogue all on the page. And it has to fit in these little tiny boxes. And there's so many times that once, even once, um, once, once she started drawing, once we had like the look of things, it'd be like, oh, there's way too much dialogue in this. We have to cut a bunch of this. And my editor is really good about knowing knowing that kind of thing. Um, but it's super fun. It's fun to edit it for me because it feels so much less uh, daunting than editing a movie, I guess. Because I, yeah. with a movie, totally it's agree. like, this is what we got. And whereas with a, with a graphic novel, you can be like, we can do a lot more. We can play with it. Yeah, there's a lot of people who get really frustrated with edits. I think you and I are the kind of people who like making stuff with people. I love getting edited. I get really excited to get my edit letters from my my editor, Peter Joseph at Hanover. I'm just like, ooh, I want to know what he thinks. And like, I get excited. I'm not precious about things. Yeah. So were you, were there any like big changes? Like did, uh, like, was there a point in time where like there was like a character needed to go or like some kind of massive big change had to happen? No, only that, um, well, my very first pitch to them was like this huge, what ended up being like the graphic novel was literally <laughs> my first, was going to be originally the first chapter. So I was like, she'll discover she has power. She does all these things. And then the world moves on and this will be, and then the next chapter, more things happen. And they were like, I think the first chapter like is your graphic novel. And I was like, oh, so that was like a really interesting uh Thing to figure out is it like oh right this thing that I thought was only going to take up you know 20 pages is actually like 100 pages so that was a huge change for me but other than that it was um aging the character down a little bit she was originally written 20s to 30s um but yeah once we started drawing there weren't any huge massive changes oh I yeah there were like a couple story changes but nothing nothing once we started drawing 
Uh, are there, is there anything that you wish that readers would know about how graphic novels are different than, than regular books or like how they're either how they're marketed or how they're bought or how they're made? Um, well, knowing what I you think, know as the co-host of reading yeah. classes. <laughs> I think there is so much like, um, they're so more similar to books than they are to comic books, I would say, because yeah. you can pre-order them. They're really based on pre-orders. Uh, like their success and failure and you don't order them every week like you do comics you know whereas a comic book they usually expect like your first book to do well and the second one a little whatever but then people will keep buying it based on your first book whereas this is just it this is all that's coming out and if it does well then maybe in another year or two I'll get to do another one um based on this popularity um but yeah yeah I mean I guess that's sort of it's it's basically just a book. It's a book. It takes... It's a graphic novel. <laughs> it's a graphic novel. It takes as much time to do as a book, if not more time, because it took Yishan uh, a year to draw it, a full year, mm-hmm. um, which is a ton of time. Um, and it took me probably a good year of writing and re-editing, like, pretty steadily to get it finished. So it it, it is very... It's a, it's a lot of work, because you just have to take into account so many elements. It's not just words on a page. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that. That's also hard. Uh, uh, but uh, <laughs> Making art is hard all over. Yeah, all over. But you, but you, because you take so many things into account and um, yeah, so that, it's different, but it is kind of the same as a book. The end. <laughs> So if you, you folks can, you can buy Mary right now. It comes out Sunday from when this episode comes out. We're really, really excited. So we are going to do a special release party for, for, for Bria's graphic novel. We're really excited. Sunday night. So that's October 4th. We'll be doing it at 6 p.m. So you can send your thoughts to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. Before we answer our recommendation request, we're going to take a quick break. Reading Glasses is sponsored in part this week by Unfamiliar Familiars. A familiar may be many things, but fundamentally, it's a witch's animal companion. You may be picturing a black cat or a crow, but shouldn't there be more options? You should have a familiar as unique as you are. Unfamiliar Familiars is a new encyclopedic guide to finding and caring for your unconventional magical animal. And it was co-created by a friend of the network. Megan Lynn Cott is the artist behind the fabulous Maximum Fun Pledge Drive and Animal Pins from the past few years. If you've gotten a reading glasses one and you loved it, this is the same artist and she's amazing. So Unfamiliar Familiars is available at chroniclebooks.com or wherever books are sold. And you can find out your familiar today. There's a really cute little quiz on chroniclebooks.com slash familiar. And that's where you also get your copy. So you can get this really cute book, take the really cute quiz. And then when you get the book, you can find out how to care for your adorable familiar. So Max Fun listeners get 30% off from chroniclebooks.com through December with promo code familiars. Now it's the last week of September. October's coming up. Everybody's thinking about witchy stuff. Who doesn't want a really cute familiar to think about and distract yourself from all the crazy things that are going on? This book is so cute, so fun. We're so excited about it. And remember, you get 30% off from chroniclebooks.com through December with promo code familiars. Also glasses. Welcome. Thank you. These are real podcast listeners, not actors. What do you look for in a podcast? Reliability is big for me. Power. I'd say comfort. What do you think of this? Oh. That's Jordan Jesse Go. Jordan Jesse Go? They came out of the 
floor? And down from the ceiling? That can't be safe. I'm upset. Can we go now? Soon. Jordan Jesse Go, a real podcast. Now let's answer a recommendation request from Josie. Josie says, hi, Mallory and Bria. I recently discovered your podcast and have begun listening from the beginning because honestly, I just don't know how to do it any other way. I have been looking for a podcast like yours that discusses books and reading, but doesn't push the listener to read a specific book. That is literally the entire point of reading glasses. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We love when people get excited about that because that's why we made this whole show. Uh, One of your early podcasts discussed reading wheelhouses and I wanted to send you mine. Stories that take place in bookstores or libraries, uh, found, discovered magic, how the character deals with their newfound powers, sisters, and stories set in New York City. Do you have any book suggestions that may combine any of these elements? Um, Bria, what should Josie read? Well, mine is going to be a library-based book, which I think yours is as well. Um, You can't resist. I had trouble thinking of one that that had all of these elements in it. Um, One I wanted to recommend, I really, uh, it's not library book, sorry, it's a bookstore book, is... um, Midnight at the Bright Ideas Bookstore by Matthew J. Sullivan, which is a mystery about a woman who, who works at a bookstore and one of the patrons dies. And then she has to discover all these things. And um, it's really great. I really enjoyed it. Um, I also thought that, interestingly, a Discovery of Witches has a nice library element to it, and it has discovered magic. So that could be in Josie's wheelhouse. And also, Ooh. just throwing it out there, if you haven't read this, you got to read the library book. Josie, oh, read the yes. library book. It's so good. So good. It's nonfiction, so but it's good. but it's fantastic. Um, and it has like it has such a narrative mystery element to it that it I it I think it'll scratch a novel itch for somebody. Absolutely. Uh, what what do you recommend? It's a book that just came out recently uh, that I heard about it on our pal show, Professional Book Nerds, and Jill recommended it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this sounds amazing. It's called The Lions of Fifth Avenue by Fiona Davis. Oh, I want to read this too. I want to read this. I have it on my library holds list. I'm so excited. Uh, It's a historical fiction slash mystery novel that takes place in New York City. So check one, specifically at the New York Public Library, check two. And there are two timelines and both are centered around a female protagonist uh, in books going missing from the library. It's not, no sisters, but the modern day timeline is the granddaughter of the woman from the older timeline. So maybe that kind of familial element will get scratched there. Um, but these, yeah, so these books are missing from the library and she has to discover what's happening. And like um, the modern day timeline has to dis- has to figure out how her grandmother is related to it. It just like it sounds super good. I'm super excited. So that's Lions of Fifth Avenue by Fiona Davis. And I named a few. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you can send your recommendation request to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. Time to solve a bookish problem from one of our listeners. Holly writes in, My question is, how does one develop a wheelhouse? Do they just analyze the common threads or themes in books they liked? Books that I have read and loved this year are Such a Fun Age, You Don't Live Here, The Vanishing Half, Red, White, and Royal Blue, and several books with multiverses. I think a multiverse is definitely my wheelhouse, but not sure what other books I have read have in common to make up a wheelhouse. Bria, how does Holly develop a wheelhouse? Well, I think Holly's right. Do they just analyze common threads and themes? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, basically. (laughs) It's not as complicated as people think it is. No, no, but it is kind of like paying attention to what you read, which I think is something we we really encourage is like the things that draw you in. 
And one thing we've started encouraging people to do recently is to look at the at their book arenas, which we've talked about. Um, those are plot, setting, character, and language, for those of you who don't know. Um, Pathways is what I'm trying to talk okay. about. Um, well, arena makes it sound cool because it makes it sound like the books are fighting each other. <laughs> but Pathways I kind of like because it is like the, like, which, like, there's four Pathways in the forest. Which one will you choose? Um, Mallory <laughs> like chooses. A little, like the book. The book guy comes out of the woods and he's, yeah. he's like a little book with arms and he's like, which way will you go? Yeah, it's just that paper clip from Microsoft, like <laughs> Clippy. Was his name Clippy? I think so. What, how stupid. You may be too young for this. Um, no, anyway. I remember Clippy. Okay. When, I, when we took like word classes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Clippy would come out and go, let me give you some information. Um, anyway, if we were all in the woods and there was four pathways, Mallory would choose. <laughs> the, nor- the normal situation where we're all in the woods together. And, and Clippy is talking to us. Uh, <laughs> Mallory would choose plot, right? You choose plot. Yes. I'm I choose plot setting. Person. I think Holly chooses character, but I find... The, the easy way for me to figure this out is I kind of use this when I'm explaining a book to somebody because I'm like, this is kind of what drew me in and my sentences are usually like, okay, first of all, it's in space. Second of all, these things happen. And so that's how I kind of know I am a setting person. Um, so I think this is where you can maybe start your wheelhouses, your wheelhouse if characters fall into certain categories. So based on what you put above, I think that maybe books with queer characters, uh, black characters, characters of color, uh, YA characters seem to be in your wheelhouse. Um, but I think you can get down to more specific from there as you start to like think about the things that are drawing you to these characters. So for example, I know something we all love to talk about is the woman on a journey. Like if these characters all, <laughs> all have a very specific struggle that you notice you keep getting drawn to, like if they're if they all have complicated families, if they all are dealing with some sort of, sort of trauma, like something is bringing you in every time, I think you're going to be able to find it that way. Um, how do you suggest Holly figures this out? Well, I, I, I want to start by saying I definitely think it does take a little mental adjusting to start thinking about books via wheelhouse, you know, because it's such, such, a, such a specific way to look at a book. But I think thinking about pitching it to somebody else is a really, like you said, is a really great way to start. Like, what are the salient things that you love about something that you w- would want to tell somebody? Um, so, but I, yeah, just like, you know, we it's, 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 you got to start with the stuff that you love. Start by ma- taking the books that you love and making a list of the things that you, that make you love it. And it might not be subjects. We say subject or tropes, uh, but it c- could also be setting. Uh, I always forget to add Florida to my wheelhouse for mm, some reason because yeah. it's not a type of character or like a specific subject. But I absolutely love books set in Florida, Florida for some weird fucking reason. And I will always read a book that is set there no matter what genre it is. So think outside the box. It might be a type of friendship or a type of romance. We all know that Enemies to Lovers is a big big hot wheelhouse (laughs) item uh it could be a type of writing it could be an author's voice there are so many different ways to love a book so just start thinking outside of the typical like oh this book is about uh you know a a female protagonist or this book is about a talking dog there might there's so like five million different authors can write a book about a talking dog and they would all be different and there's so many ways to make them different so i think holly it's time to make a list time to make a little spreadsheet time to channel your inner mallory and bria and get organized (laughs) or just like just think like you said it, it doesn't have to be recent books just think about your favorite books and what makes you love them like you know me a couple of mine are werewolves 
books set in Florida, haunted houses, circuses, Bria's are women on a journey, space, extreme settings for some reason. You know, it's so interesting that you say that because I do think thinking about books that really meant something to you in the past is an important thing to think about as well. Like thinking Mm -hmm. about these books that you're like, I loved that book. And when there are other books kind of similar to that current written currently, you're like, oh, I would be drawn to that because I loved you know, I know you loved uh, We've Always Lived in the Castle, which may be why you like this book that I just read, this castle graphic novel that I just read, right? Like, so absolutely. Like, you will go, because that's something you can, I don't know, gothic stuff is something that, like, you're drawn to because you love Shirley Jackson and that era and and books from her, by her. Like, we were talking in the Reading Glasses Slack channel recently with uh, Adam and Jill of the, with the professional book nerds who is like our pal. Like, if if book podcasts were a neighborhood, Adam and Jill would be our neighbors that we barbecue with all the time. (laughs) Uh, And we, we kind of realized that gothic mansions are in all of our wheelhouses, but for very different reasons, you know? Uh, And so I think something might be in your wheelhouse, but maybe not for the reason that you think it is. Right. You know? Like, I like gothic mansions, but not necessarily just because they're spooky and goth, but because I love a backstory. I love a legend, and that's why I like them. And someone else might like them because they're a spooky setting Mm -hmm. or because they like characters getting scared. So just really, really dig deep and think outside the box and think about uh, one of the, you know, the many myriad ways that you can love a book. And also listen to and more Holly, re- when you figure out your wheelhouse, please send it to us. Please do. But listen to more reading glasses because I think as people name theirs, you'll realize that certain things, because people will say things that I'm like, oh, that's me too. Like I will realize it just by yes. our listeners writing in. Oh, for sure. There's definitely times where we get wheelhouses that I'm like, oh my God, that's totally in my wheelhouse and I would have never thought of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to figure it out right now as long as it, it Wheelhouses evolve. Our wheelhouses have both evolved since we started doing this show. For sure. I didn't even realize Florida was such a big deal for me until I realized, and I was like, wow, I have like 40 books about Florida. You love Florida and haunted houses. And I think if you only read haunted house and Florida books for the rest of your life, you'd be happy. God, if anyone has a recommendation for a haunted house book set in Florida, please send it to me immediately. Have we not thought of that? Yes, absolutely. Run, do not walk to your email address (laughs) and send me your Florida haunted house books. If you want us to solve your reader problem, you can send it to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. As always, we want to thank Daniel and Kathy and Jessica who run our Facebook group and Chrissy and Rachel who moderate our Goodreads page. Remember, you can buy Reading Glasses tote bags and shirts and bookmarks in the Maximum Fun store. There's a link in the show notes. Uh, And if you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. It's really great for us. It's great for our egos. It's great for advertisers. It's basically great. There's there's no downsides Mm -mm. to to reviewing Reading Glasses. It's great for everybody. Great for everyone involved. It makes you feel good as a person. You can go to sleep that night thinking, wow, I reviewed a podcast that I like. I helped somebody out. You, you bump your, you get karma points. We hopefully get more advertisers so we can feed our many cats. It's just a great situation for everybody involved. And uh, you can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at readinggpodcast, on Instagram at readingglassespodcast. And you can always follow along on our bookish adventures using the general hashtag readingglassespodcast. Thanks for listening and thanks for reading. reading.